Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from Ten, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net with original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Dealing In. Dealing In is the feedback show for the works and worlds of J. Daniel Sawyer, which is uh, me. Yay! Today we're doing Down From Ten. If you have not heard up to Down From Ten, episode 15, stop, wait, go back, and listen now because heavy spoilers might be ahead. I am joined today by Gail Carragher, the author of Solus and the Parasol Protectorate series, which is currently in its third printing from Orbit Books and has just won an award for the cover art and is, in general, kicking ass around the world. Woohoo! Thank you very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> and I am joined by Chris Lester, author and producer of the Metamore City Podcasts. Hey, gang. Winner of the... Parsec Award for Best Audio Production Long Form, which I finally have in my hot little hands. <laughs> and it's not nearly as dorky looking as an Oscar. No, it's very real, true. It's really kind of dorky looking. <laughs> I hate to say it. It, it, it. It's still less dorky than an Oscar, honestly. It's kind of like <laughs> sperm whale stars. <laughs> That's kind of a... <laughs> And also by Kitty Nakian, who is the voice of Katie in Down From Ten, also helps produce the shows here at Artistic Whispers and uh, generally causes great havoc in the name of fun. Good evening. She's here playing her usual role as pretending to be the normal one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that pretense crumbled quite a long time ago, didn't it? Mm, I don't know. We still get feedback from people who think she's saner than the rest of us. <laughs> Her crafty plot to take over the Just world. Just remember what they said about Ted Bundy. Oh, he was such a nice, charming gentleman. People say that Kitty is a nice, charming gentleman. <laughs> well, when she puts on the tuxedo, you know. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Sexy. I'm all about subverting gender roles. <clears throat> Supporting or subverting? Subverting. <laughs> ah. Good, good, good. You've come to the right place, then. Um, so you've all got... Feedback pieces for Down From Ten? Yep. Who's supposed to start? Um, let's just go around like this. So, starting with Kitty. Okay. <clears throat> First feedback is from a fellow named Jarrett. Ah, Jarrett Kohler, yes. Okay. Most definitely hooked. Now I'm just wondering, how does one get to be in this group? Sounds like a good place to escape from the world, if not for a short time. Though from the end segment, I assume that will change. <laughs> first you have to sacrifice a goat. Yeah, first you have to sacrifice a goat. Then read the book, or listen to the book, and uh, yeah, then go out and try to inflict uh, social bonding on other people while respecting the laws and customs of your home culture. You can always start your own group. That's, That's what I was trying oh. to get at, yeah. <laughs> Not everybody can hack uh, being the, the pack alpha, though. It's true. It's a dirty job. It really is. I'm glad it's not my job. <laughs> I'm beta. I'm a beta all the way. <laughs> Professor Lyle and me. 
Standing on the sidelines. Just but, to, you know, behind the, the alpha's elbow, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> is that a wise decision? <laughs> Probably not. Would you like a ham sandwich? Would you like a ham <laughs> <laughs> I have one in my pocket. <laughs> Beta's no best. All right. I have an email from Carl. And I'm not going to do the last note because I don't know if that's appropriate. Okay. And he says, the name of my next musical project is absolutely going to be called Meat Pie. Meat what? Pipe. Me- oh, Meat, meat Pipe. pipe. <laughs> <laughs> WTF. In the immortal words of Jeff. Oh, why we? Why do you always give me these emails? I I wasn't. You, you, you do it on purpose. You do it on purpose. Daniel. <laughs> In the immortal words of Jeff Spicoli. Yes. After Hamilton throws hot coffee on the would-be robber. Awesome. Totally awesome. Glad you're back, Dan. I was losing the narrative thread. Ha. Well, thank you. From Jonathan. Subject. Hey, Dan. Great book. Hey, Dan. I'm loving the podcast. I'm sorry I haven't emailed you sooner to praise your good works. Unquote. Anyway. I got to put in my call on what is going on. It actually came early on, right about the time with the fractal hallucination. Jonathan, I think you're going a little overboard on the air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Now my call is that the group is in a VR program that simulates the world for some sort of experimental purposes. Not too sure on who the person or persons are. The reason I have come to this are so... You have expressed some disinterest in the supernatural. Predestination isn't over yet, I know, and there might be metaphysical stuff to come. However, you strike me as a hard science guy. This book is set several years from now. The bulletproof glass broke. My guess is perception is reality. They are closed off from the entire world. Hard to simulate the world. I am assuming the hallucinations are real. The fractal would be a telltale sign that the program isn't perfect. The hydrogen collider hasn't worked, and it's the most complex machine so far. And finally, the phrase that you can make the whole world end if you count down from ten. A countdown to end the program. A safe word, if you will. (laughs) Anyway, that all aside, I love the book, love the special episodes where I see you, Chris, Kitty, and sometimes others talk about anything. And just to prove that I have been listening, you are a bastard. Drink. Now go back to writing, you fantastic son of a bitch. No death threat yet. Sincerely, Jonathan. Oh, I'm sure I'll get death threats at the end. (laughs) All right. I would like to interject and say that the VR thing is almost as bad as the dream thing. So if you're going to put that twist in, shame on you, Dan. Shame on you. (laughs) I wouldn't do that. Okay, I didn't. I thought you had more class than that. Miss Carragher. I do. I do so love theories, though. <laughs> They're so much fun. You have two identities, Ms. Carragher. <laughs> One of these identities has a future. The other does not. Oh dear God. Oh boy. Oh, you know. You know. My my, my 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 thought listening to that is that's the fun part. How many times has this person watched The Matrix? Mm, <laughs> I don't know. He makes yes. some good points. He's definitely well, thinking about it. I think I'm yeah. the I'm the only one in this room who doesn't know the ending to this story, right? That, you yeah. guys have all read it. So. All right. So um, I would like to say I don't have a theory on this, but I do have faith in Dan. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking <laughs> whatever it is, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. Well, Indeed. I hope you like it. I think you will. <laughs> <laughs> Do you 
Okay, um, we have feedback from Sheena, who just wanted to say how much she loves your work. I was listening to Antithesis and thoroughly enjoying it, despite the dark tone, as I mentioned in the feedback shows, and I think I appreciated it so much more with all the feedback episodes. I found myself mainlining both Dealing In and the Metamore City feedback shows during the story. Now I think I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing again just to catch all the details I missed. <laughs> I recently got a chance to listen to podcasts again and started down from 10 today. I immediately went back for more. You seem to have the perfect mix of comedy, intelligence, drama, and suspense to get me hooked with only the first episode. Thank you. I must also say that the opening music was perfect. Danny Shade is amazing. Shade is amazing. He does, he does. <clears throat> the opening bars set the tone for the story perfectly. Now that I have listened to three episodes today, I can't wait for more. All the crazy descriptions of this book, trying to put it into different genres, is definitely pointless. I'm not sure how to describe it, but I can see shades of Agatha Christie in there, and I love the references to Poirot. I have to stop you there because that 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 is a very huge in joke. When I was writing, um, when I was writing it, I knew I needed to get the French. Uh, I needed to get a French voice for Garrett, and it is not easy to do. No. So I went and out, and I have a friend who owns the entire Poirot series, all hundred and some odd episodes. Oh my God. And I put it on in the background, and I watched the whole series through two or three times as I was writing, just so I would have that voice in my head the whole time. <laughs> Oddly enough. <That's> commitment. <laughs> and he's, I think he's an English actor, actually. Yeah, yeah. David Suchet is English. Yeah. Funnily enough, she says, I could almost hear him saying, I'm not French, I'm from Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Yeah. And, and that, by the way, that's why I made him from uh, Alsace-Lorraine, because they have a very muddled accent. Mm -hmm. and... Cheater. <laughs> well, you know, I gave him a German name, I made him French, I put him in Alsace-Lorraine, so he'll have that muddled accent that's very similar to Belgian. And... Well, your voice actor is very good, too. I mean, oh my god, yeah. And he's, that, he's for that character, he's mm -hmm. excellent. And he also doesn't he also do a Georgian do, accent or something? No, or Massachusetts, he okay. did Bill Shelley in Predestination. Uh -huh. And then she adds, "I'm sure the shining part of this book is yet to come." <laughs> That's shining. And she says the shining. <laughs> My only concern. Shh, they want to get seared. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My... My only concern at this point is that I have almost caught up with your production and will have to start waiting for new episodes. At least I will have Sculpting God to listen to in between. I must admit that my expectations are high based on your work that I have listened to so far. Thank you for putting your work out there and putting so much into the production. The result of your efforts comes across clearly to the listener and it's wonderful to listen to. Thank you. I'm very glad you enjoy it, and I hope that you enjoyed Sculpting God rather than being turned off by it because it was my first podcast and had all the rough edges that you expect from that. I think mostly only audiophiles notice those things because okay. I didn't notice. I don't know this the difference between your podcasts at all. They all seem fine <laughs> <Okay>. to me. <laughs> I noticed the rough edges in the writing. Mm, yeah, it's rough edges. Oh yeah. yeah, it does. But it, I mean, this does bring up something that I wanted to ask you about because. Yeah. I find with some of my favorite authors that there are certainly some worlds that they've written or some genres that they're writing in that I like better than others. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Dan knows this, but I'm not a huge fan of the antithesis right, progression because it's just too dark for me, and, and I have a hard time with gruesomeness as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I love, love, love Down From Ten. And so, I mean, it, do you have, it, have you had that experience with other writers that, you, that are favorites of yours? Um, 
tend to... Writers that tend to, to straddle science fiction and fantasy, it's rare that I'll find one where I like both of them. Mm-hmm. With writers that, that hop around more mainstream genres, I've got less of a... I, I have less trouble transitioning between. I, I have a, an aversion to fantasy in the first place because... Growing up, I read Tolkien and Donaldson and a couple of other really, really good ones that kind of set the bar for everybody. And it's very hard to find any authors who do fantasy with anything that I haven't read before. And so I kind of burned out on the tropes. And fantasy is even more so than science fiction or mystery. It's very trope-driven. Absolutely, yeah. And, which is one of the reasons I loved Solus, because oh, well, thank you, you took the tropes and you said okay well let's fuck with that and then have fun with this and bring history into it and i'm like oh, breath of fresh air you should try andrea martin barnes she's an old 80s fantasy writer but what she has she has a series of only one series of hers i think is good this is kind of the, the thing that i was thinking about a little bit um it's the sword series the fire sword is the first one but she uses Celtic mythology, and then Greek mythology, and then Chinese oh, mythology, and she has each successive generation in this particular family that's dealing with these gods, and she's very knowledgeable about her yeah, mythos, I, I so I think like you might that, like that's, that. That's steeped in real mythology, mm -hmm. I tend to really like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I did get burned out on Arthurian. Me too. Really I'm just, if you're, if you're, if you, listen out there, you people, if you are writing something that is a fantasy with a, with a medieval setting, change your setting. <laughs> <laughs> not only is it boring, but it's not going to sell. Yeah, well, and the, yeah, and the boring thing is that the medieval setting, the whole point of the Middle Ages was that nothing was happening. <laughs> People sat around in yurts and got drunk because there was nothing else to do. It's true. If you want the the really the only culture that had great vibrant mythology in the Middle Ages were the um well the Ottoman the, Empire. The Vikings. In the, in the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, I mean, yeah. why isn't anyone writing? I mean, I'm sure there's a, someone's going to ping me with some exceptions to this rule. But there are periods in history that, especially as Western edu educated individuals, we do not know a lot about. And you can do a little research oh, and get yes. a lot of subject oh, matter for setting, like the, Ottoman, the late Ottoman Empire oh, yes. or the Byzantine Empire. I mean... I would love to see more <clears throat> done about the, um, the African kingdoms oh, at the height God, of yes. their... Their uh, prosperity and and something that isn't Stargate, please. Uh -huh. mm. Oh God, talk about a series that just wasted all its potential. Yeah. <laughs> I I loved the film. I loved the film, I and like I the film very much too. And um, I enjoyed the potential places that it could go in the first season. And after the first season, it was like, uh, you totally did not go anywhere that meant anything. So, mm -hmm. which is not to say that a lot of high fantasy, particularly, isn't really well written no 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 level. of course it's not. just that so much it's not just that there's the standard expected world that then the author makes a few riffs on the medieval world it's also that there's the standard cast of characters you yes got the wizard and the peasant who suddenly discovers that he's the son the bastard son of a king and is the rightful heir and the yeah. the, the, the 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 um the mentor and the princess in distress, who is sometimes a warrior princess who's not really in distress, and you just it gets old because you know what's going to happen. You know, yeah, yeah. You know it's predictable. I'm I'm at the point right now that um, when I'm reading things that are in the high fantasy set, medieval high fantasy setting, I can only get into it if it is a satire parody of and those the whole be genre. Funny. Those are oh hilarious. My 
Um, my favorite recent one that I read is is the Sir Apropos of Nothing series. Mm. I think there were three books that were written. Um, I think it was Peter David. I think so, yeah. Absolutely hilarious. I've also heard good things about uh, The Name of the Wind and The Lies of Locke Lamora, which are both kind of playing with the, the tropes of high fantasy also. But like um, One author I like who does straddle both, and he, I'm sure he's way too dark for your taste, but it was Stephen Donaldson. Um, because he did he did the high fantasy thing. I want to say I've read a couple of his uh, Chronicles of Thomas Covenant way back uh, yeah, when. It would have been. You might like his. No, short... he's got a a yeah. woman main character. Dime. Oh no, it's gone. Yeah. You might like his short fiction. His 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 short stories are. I gave way better with short stories. It's true, especially if it's there if they're audio. But uh, his, his conceit for his fantasy novels was that the fantasy world is a hallucination and you know it is from the beginning and he he does the whole thing it's a psychological exercise and then you find out towards the end that there's more to it than just that but he approaches it from that angle which allows him to do some wonderful things that no one had done before is is his main character a leper yes right i've heard of it i'm i'm sorry but no, you, you i'm not going to read that <laughs> it's just not going to happen um and then his um his space opera series was a recasting of der ring des nibelungen yeah into a science fiction setting, which really worked. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. But he's that. one of the very space few... Space opera. Yeah, but he's one of the very few that, oh, yes. that I've seen that can that can juggle genres competently uh, between science fiction and fantasy. Well, part of the reason I asked that question is partly because I... Like your voice is so different in your two pieces that, and I, I'm, I mean, I don't know how many other people are out there. I'd be interested to find out, but that I heavily come down in favor of down from ten, and it's just that's what my preference is. And I actually have had my. It's more common for me to have that experience as well, where if I have, I find an author that I like who writes in multiple subgenres of sci-fi fantasy. I tend to really like them. My only in one, and mine is Tanya Huff. Like I really only like her science fiction her hardcore sci-fi which is unusual for me but her military sci-fi is what mm -hmm. i really like that she writes and i've tried her fantasy and she has urban fantasy as well and i just i don't like any of her other stuff mm -hmm. it's that series that i like that she and she's completely different voice i mean she's i really really respect an author that can switch their voice like that i mean i think that's yeah. a, a skill a true skill but uh but what it results I'm, I'm in very, is disliking. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very complimented that that you hear such a different voice in Down from Ten because I really worked for that. Yeah. Well, I and mean, is it hard? I mean, you were you you were writing the two at the same time. Is it difficult for you if you're writing to was, mentally switch? It was easy to switch from Predestination to Down from Ten. Very difficult to switch back. Mm. Um, and it wasn't the voice so much as it was the headspace, mm. um, because Down from Ten is very is very kind of warm and comfortable and and predestination is an unpleasant emotional world to be in um it's i find it intellectually stimulating and exhilarating but emotionally it's rather unpleasant yeah on purpose yeah um well but, it's part of its tension yeah it's because it's it's tension driven and you yeah know, big things are going on and big things are rarely pleasant it's uh -huh, true <laughs> and i you know you get i i personally kind of got tired of the whole oh let's overturn our whole society and everybody will be shiny and happy about it i i'm like you want to do revolution let's let's take it seriously it's an angsty upsetting process filled with upheaval death and despair <laughs> well that's kind and of then it. afterwards it's okay well if you're sometimes. lucky if you're lucky yeah. it's only really ever worked once, once. <laughs> that is kind of interesting i mean cozies do tend to be sort of smaller scale 
I mean, essentially, in my lingo, which is learned from the British literary scene, what Dan has written is called a cozy, irregardless of everything else in Down from Ten. And a cozy is a townhouse mystery, as you put it. But it's it's a mystery story that's kind of friendly and comfortable to be in. Um, so Agatha Christie, for example, is considered a cozy mystery writer. Really? And there's a it's a whole genre in England in particular. I never knew the term. I've it's, I've always yeah. I've always. I, I, the the term they mark they've always marketed in America is the country house mystery. Yeah, it's so. called a cozy in, in the in, in cool. the UK. Um, I don't know if it's still called that, but it certainly was you know ten fifteen years ago. And um, where was I going with this? Oh, but I wonder if you are restricted when you're dealing with a revolution or grand scale to a slightly more negative or a slightly darker story merely because of your subject matter. I mean, I'm wondering kind if of, you could rewrite Antithesis as a comedy, for example. I could definitely, it would be a dark comedy, but I could definitely yeah. do like a Doctor Strange love with it. Hmm. Um, so, um, in some ways, yes, it's very difficult. The, the voice change is not difficult. The emotional headspace change I find very difficult. Hmm. Um, in fact, to, to write Free Will, because I'm still podcasting down from 10, and yeah. so I'm recording it and reading it every week, I have to put on, like, really depressing movies. I was going to say, was there something like, is it, you watch movies, well, you're, a, you're an audiovisual yeah, person. Yeah, so, I'll put, so. On, I'll put on dark classical music, or, or mm-hmm. really hard rock, or, um, you know, like, industrial, or I'll put on, you know, I'll just stack a bunch of noir films on, on my computer and mm-hmm. have it play through, and just having that atmosphere in the background helps me get back into it. That's really funny because that's kind of what I do. I mean, really? I'll do be tell. well, I'll be writing a short story or writing something else or I'll be off the writing roster for a little while and have to get back into in my case the Victorian mindset. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'll do is put on just a BBC costume drama to try and get myself thinking and cool. my, the voice in my head working that way. And the other thing I'll do is read primary source material like Amelia B, B. Edwards or somebody that's Victorian and writing mm-hmm. about their travels. Yeah, the, uh, the other thing besides Agatha Christie I did for Down from Ten was I listened to um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency <laughs> a lot. Um, not because I was trying to steal the voice, but because he's got... there's that's In some ways it's Douglas's darkest book, mm-hmm. but it's got this this pervasive sense of wonder that... His other books have really nice, hard, ironic edges that are they're cute and fuzzy, but there's a hard, ironic edge underneath. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dirk Gently's darker in tone, but underneath there's this really glorious sense of wonder that I was wanting to well, incorporate into Down From Ten as well. We could go into, like, Douglas Adams is one of my favorite authors, so we Mine could probably too. go into this for a while. <laughs> but I always think of Dirk Gently as kind of a, a cynic in a way. Like, mm-hmm. he's a character who's a cynic yes. who's coping with amazing things, mm-hmm. whereas... Hitchhiker's Guide, for example, is an innocent. The character is that an in, the, who's an innocent right. who's coping with overwhelming things. Yeah, you know, so it's sort of a reversal. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun with Dirk Gently to watch the cynic rediscover a sense of wonder. Yeah, um, which and I really like. And, and, well, in particular, most of Dirk Gently is told from Richard's point of view, mm, yeah. and Richard is the is the frustrated musician who discovers the music that runs the universe, and that sequence just <laughs> always reduces me to tears because it's so gorgeous. <laughs> But so yeah, so I was listening to a lot of that too to <laughs> help me bring that sense into Down from Ten because that's really important for the kind of stuff that I'm dealing with. Cool. Well, I totally derailed, but cool. so let's get back. Derailing to... is good. I know. Yes, that's what I'm here for. That was a good derail. Getting back to the emails. This is from Sola, who has a really cool email address, but I'm not going to say what it is. But it's really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. He, she, it, I wouldn't want to presume, says, You Slytherin bastard! You've twisted my thinking! 
I'm still an episode back. Oh, I'm all amidships, I see. In the hippy-dippy love nest. Everyone busy being quite comp... Competent? competent it is competent. And I'm really already suspicious of my favorite <laughs> characters. Oh, I'm already suspicious of the characters. Reanalyzing the, their every move. Be right back. <laughs> Wait, are you? You're not Slytherin. You're totally Gryffindor. I hate I to tell you, no Dan. Idea. You have no choice. You're Gryffindor. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> no, you're Ravenclaw. Of course you're not sure. Of course sure. I'm Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> I do have snakes. <laughs> you do, but I, it's well, the laugh. He, he could be like Harry Potter, who was like Dan uh, could... Gryffindor, but talked to snakes, you yeah, know? Yeah, but Dan... <laughs> See, I think he's Dan more... could be Gryffindor. I mean, I, when I visualize mm. the character that jk rowling describes like he looks like dan (laughs) okay yeah i could i could see that that. and i do know how to sword fight Uh that's true see but i i kind of see dan more like the uh like the last the last potions master that they had who was you know he was a jovial slytherin oh yeah oh yeah capable of doing you know it's the the whole thing about slytherins is that they can be brave and all that but they but they'd rather not, they'd rather yeah. get things done with cunning yeah <laughs> i don't know that dan's is dan that are you that cunning dan i can be yeah but most of the time you choose not to i choose well i don't like the person i eventually have to become if i keep it up i could not agree with you more it's a uh, it, it's a good weapon to keep in the back pocket. it's true it's true <laughs> always the quiet one <laughs> <laughs> well then it's definitely not dan <laughs> Okay, from Nathan. Random praise. Dan, and hello to anyone else there. Hello. Hello. Having recently come across some free time, dude, if you where'd you find Yeah, I want I want to know where your your dealer is. (laughs) Lucky bastard. (laughs) I have a box of it in the closet. And you haven't told us. And you haven't I'm, shared. I'm With hiding the it. three authors. Oh, we're gonna have to mug her afterwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As Kitty becomes Katie yet again. <laughs> Having recently come across some free time, I decided to start working on the pile of novels sitting on my bedside table. I was about a quarter of the way through the first book when that narrating voice in my head took on a decidedly down from ten tone to it. Every time Jubal E. Harshaw is on screen, you and your cast take over the scene. (laughs) Heinlein's version of the philosophical anything-goes artist commune could be clouding my judgment, but I'm seeing lots of little influences from him in your characters and writing style. I can't help but think that Heinlein taught you well. Keep up the wonderful work and don't burn yourself out with too many projects. I hadn't even thought of that. Are you being influenced by Heinlein? Einlein was one of my uh, one of my formative influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of jubel about <laughs> you. <laughs> I've never read Heinlein, so I can't participate in this discussion. Well, not Heinlein was one of my early literary influences, and my um, business mentor, my writing business mentor, was one of his uh, proteges who never made it in publishing, but turned out to be a hell of an editor. Uh-huh. So she published a couple books, but mostly made her living doing beta reading, and is really good. But she's so she was a friend of his who was taught by him. So second generation down. I will say, however, that um, I think you have much more 
of an awareness of the kind of social dynamics that are present in those sorts of um, you know, these sorts of group dynamics. Heinlein's Stranger reads like a very idealized, very um, you know, yeah. very very utopian view. Which it and, was. It was intended as a satire to basically piss off all the squares. Okay, fair um, enough. But, but the thing that I, one of the things I really like about Down from Ten is you have all of these characters who love each other and are and really are committed to this this group, but they still go through all of the angst and conflict and they fight and they make up and they have all their own issues and baggage and stuff. And they still really love each other and are still holding together. And they don't and they don't have to be perfect or issueless to have this kind of deep communion. Exactly. Which exactly is a strange myth I hear normal people talking about. Like <laughs> that was a telling statement. <laughs> I can't have that kind of thing because I, I have too many issues. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. shut up. Yeah, yes. I mean stranger use all the, the characters are cardboard cutouts really Mm. and so you know it's like they have this happy world but you don't really believe it could ever work um down from tens tribe feels like it would really work it feels like a real tribe and thank you when when i started writing this i did not want to do the stereotypical science fiction poly utopia thing because it's been done to death and by people who are far better writers than me Mm. (laughs) i figured if if i want to tackle a subject like this i want to deal with the complicated parts and make it interesting to make yeah. up for the fact that I can't write a convincing utopia because I don't believe in utopias and right. I can't suspend my disbelief that much. <laughs> <laughs> suspending disbelief as a reader or a viewer is, a, I think, a lot easier than suspending your disbelief as a, as a creator. Yeah, probably. Well, it is, I mean, it's really, it is really nice to see something realistic on the page so far as you know, open poly dynamic is mm-hmm. concerned. It's unusual. I mean, I've never read or yeah. heard anything like it. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I haven't either, and I've always wanted to see that. So, you know, yeah. you, I, I tried could wait to, around or I could try to do it myself. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to get into some of the complexities of poly relationships in making the cut. But you're, The problem with the Metamore City, and I'm not saying problem, problem, but you know what I mean, is that it's an imposed system on these people they're not necessarily mm-hmm. volu- they're not voluntary in this in this dynamic that you have set up they're forced into it and so that's like the main difference between you and dance is in dance it's by choice right and that means that the difficulties and the problems and the issues are something that have to be dealt with by choice rather than by systemic because right. people these strictures. people could leave there's no overwhelming cultural impetus on them to exactly. stay together. In fact, the cultural impetus is against this right. kind of behavior pattern. Right. So um, so not only are they there by choice, but they're bucking the system in order to be there. Right. Um, which is another problem yeah. that, of and course, they all have to cope with. Yeah. Issues, right? yeah. It, which yeah. is kind of where making the characters end up in making the cut, because they have to buck their own system in yeah, order to, to get their happy ending. But uh, it's definitely... A very they're they're coming at it from a completely different uh, societal starting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The relation, the part of the relationship itself initially mm-hmm. is involuntary. Yeah. So, and that that's that's the respect in what, in what I was thinking at least. Like whenever I've read in science fiction, 
in science fiction in general, I don't know if I've read it in fantasy, but in science fiction, when you've read a sort of poly or an open or a try at whatever right. alien marriage system you're given, <laughs> um, it's usually a culturally imposed marriage system right. as opposed to a choice. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think because that's a lot easier for um, modern, and I don't want to say American because you know the the monogamous. Uh, Myth. Myth is is pervasive pretty around much the world, in, in yeah. the West, Western world and around the world. But in the modern culture, I think that's easier for um, the viewer and the reader to accept that it's a – this is a culturally imposed system mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. – That the you characters might, you, are trying to make the best of. Like, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but that's one of, one of the reasons I didn't want to do it that way because that excuses <clears throat> the reader from the ethical discussion. It's true, yeah. And – I mean, you yeah. can tell from my from my stories that the ethical discussion is the thing that I find interesting. <laughs> and if this was a you know if this was a system they inherited, or if they were members of a cult, even by choice, mm-hmm. that would excuse the reader from considering the ethical aspects of the equation and having to identify with them. Having, also, That's having true. to identify with the different characters. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I don't like. I don't like it when authors make it that easy on me. Yeah. And so I don't want to make it that easy on my readers. And I understand that'll lose me some readers, but hey. You know. Well, in a sense, one of the things you're doing is you're setting up these sort of real life problems for the characters, right. but you're also setting up a real life problem for your reader exactly. in that you're giving them a positive impression of this alternative mm-hmm. lifestyle, essentially, not to use a catchphrase, but right. there right. it is. And so the, the, your reader or listener then has to choose whether they like this idea or not, because it is essentially presented in a positive light and the only real negative character is the character that doesn't fit into this dynamic is the sort of person and they're, they're the two with characters that don't participate in the dynamic right but one deals well with it and the other deals poorly with right it. and and i don't know about the listeners out there but it's really hard not to totally loathe <laughs> jeremiah I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean really he's so delightfully hateable. <laughs> and I worked really hard to not make him plastic bad oh, guy. He's person. so awful. <laughs> he does have some some positive traits, but then does he? by the time you get to the end of the episode, you're hating him again. So. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the things this brings up for me was like the first time that I got to know somebody who used um illicit drugs who used them in, recreationally was not addicted to them was not on any of the hard stuff but used the, them in controlled small doses in safe environments because she liked the way that it altered her consciousness and it was th- this caused some some friction for me at first because it's going up against my all my cultural predisposition that this is not something that you do and then thinking of, you know, having, being forced to think about it, and it's like, well, is this really any different from drinking? Right. You know, yeah. is the, you know, it's, it's the same, you know, on a moral Absolutely, scale. Yeah. You know, other, it, other than that one has to be obtained illegally. Right. And that you are. Well, made... in a lot of states, what Dan is talking about has to be obtained <laughs> illegally, true. too. This yeah. is true. This is true. Because right. This one. <laughs> mm hmm. More's the pity. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't consider laws to be moral in moral, you know, a moral issue. You know, but mm-hmm. choosing to obey or disobey the law, as as far as it um, 
only affects you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't consider that to be a moral question. Um, it's a it's more of a uh, question of whether or not you you take the risk. Yeah, you take the risk, right? I mean, it's like speeding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everybody speeds, uh-huh. and it's against the law. But there are times when it's safe and sane, and there are times when it's not. Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trick is, I think, I always, I'm, and I'm a motorcycle rider, and so I, I tend to look at something like speeding differently because if speeding essentially is to right you don't speed because if you get in an accident the more likelihood of right. other people being killed kind of deal whereas if you're a motorcycle rider and you speed you're just going to kill yourself most of the time mm-hmm. um and i can't remember where i was going to go with this oh yeah but but sort of the the moral ethical dilemma thing with obeying the law mm-hmm. to me is more whether you're going to take anyone else with you or whether you're going to harm anybody else right. and essentially exactly. if whatever it is you're choosing to do is really only going to cause harm to yourself then it's your own risk to take mm-hmm. and uh and and who? Why should anyone else care? <laughs> well, the people who Agreed. love you can care. They may. Right. I think that they why have a right to voice their concerns. Right. Absolutely. But, but I mean, I mean yeah. why should anyone else interfere? I guess. Yeah. And I, can, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the dynamics that Dan is exploring with this sort of alternative sexuality and sexual relationships yeah. here. Well, and he's, yeah, and, and one of the you, you'll have noticed through the through the story. All the characters have things that the other characters disapprove of, whether yeah. they're opinions or habits or, or religion plans or, or yeah, religions behavior or what yeah. have you. Um, and that was one of the other things that I have found wanting in a lot of the um, in a lot of the poly setups I've read about is they tend to be communal in a Marxist sense, where there's enforced too conformity. idealized again, yeah, yeah, well, it's, yeah, where there's enforced conformity, not just financially but also socially even if it's a you know coming together by choice then everyone kind of becomes each other and the only time i've ever seen um very unusual relationship structures work is when everyone involved has a healthy sense of individuality and is willing to allow the people that they're close to and whose actions can harm them to be as much their own person as absolutely possible mm. to respect those boundaries even if they you know they argue about stuff but in the end the fact that uh the fact that you think Thomas Kuhn was really wonderful and the fact that I think Thomas Kuhn was a bit problematic doesn't make our friendship bad. Yeah, it, absolutely. It gives an interesting variety. Exactly. It gives and us something, something to, to talk, talk about. about. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and the fact I, that we all respect each other means that we can talk about our differences right. in a way that is not um, pers- it doesn't become personal. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll have to say that um, watching, um, having seen both uh lots of couples and lots of groups that aren't quite couples that even in monogamous marriages, the healthy ones do not have two people that think exactly alike. Right. Those are dangerous. And those oh, are yeah. scary. People start dressing like each other. It's frightening. <laughs> and, and and it's scary when they're dressing like e- like each other and it's not going for a convention or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it is scary. Or you, I, I always find that in some of those, when you meet those kinds of couples, that one personality has been kind of subsumed yeah, by a yeah. dominant personality, mm-hmm. which is yeah. really not healthy. Which gets us into DNS, which is another ma- <laughs> theme down from 10. It is, it is. <laughs> and the difference between 
sexual and social DNS and healthy and yeah. Oh, I have so yeah. much fun. You're with that. you're you're providing quite an education, I think, to some people out there. I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping some of those people write into you because I know that would be so be much very fun to interested to to hear what perspectives people mm -hmm. are getting on this kind of friendship if they don't have that kind of right. friendship right. and whether they're getting a realistic look mm -hmm. from what you're writing or or if yeah. you're you are to some degree idealizing. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons that I said it in California. Is Cal well, California has got a culture that encourages this kind of mentality. Despite our voting record. Despite our voting record. <laughs> um, we have parts of California. Right. Where, oh, please don't make me cry. Well, but, but I mean particularly the mentality which, um, which, which elevates individual choice above cultural expectation. Um, the which American is kind of the most American thing right. you can have. Which is the most American thing you can have, but although lip service is paid to that in a lot of the rest of the country, the dominant cultural feel is, is a little more conformist um, in a lot of places. Although was it, wasn't it Houston who just elected a gay mayor? Yeah, Houston mayor? did. Go Houston! Oh uh, my goodness! Yay yeah. Texas! So, I so I, said I would it. have thought that of Austin, but Houston? Wow! That's yeah, crazy! Cool. And Texas just outlawed marriage. Oh, that that happened. What? No, what? that happened in two thousand five. They're just starting to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, they, they accidentally outlawed marriage. What they were trying to get an anti-gay marriage law passed, and uh -huh. they passed it. And the legislature and the governor didn't notice that because of the way they worded it, because they worded it in such a way so that the poly people wouldn't even have a prayer when they came up in, you know, 10 or 20 years when the gay thing is done and the poly thing comes up. So they said, the state of Texas shall not recognize any institution identical or similar to marriage. <laughs> they didn't qualify it with between people of the same sex or between more than two people that or anything is like hilarious. that. hilarious. It's just a blanket statement, and the press has finally picked it up. <laughs> a few people talked about this when they were passing the law, but yeah. it didn't well, get I picked heard about up it until when they were now. debating it, but I never knew that the law actually passed that way. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yes, so but so I set the story in California because in California you can actually find people like this. <laughs> Shocking. I, I'm sure you can find people like this elsewhere, but in California they get to California they, as fast as yeah, they can. In, in Usually, California, yeah. people are generally less shy about this, so it's easier for them to find each other without going to lifestyle it, conventions. And yeah, that yeah. Kind of it, it 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 would have to take place in either California or a place like New York or Vermont, Michigan. Yeah. 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 I don't so. know about Michigan. Michigan's pretty conservative. No, sorry. No, uh, Massachusetts oh, is what yes. I meant to say. Yes. Sorry, Massachusetts. I would not want to associate but. you with Michigan. I apologize. Wow. All those people in, in Michigan Northwest. who are feeling really insulted that they all just compared you to Massachusetts. That's You're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, sorry. But but California sorry. culture offers so many fun little tweaky things to pour into a mix like Although, this. Although, you I'm... know, my mindset has been changed a lot recently, because mm. not to switch this to me, but I am here, so I'm going to. But I get <laughs> fan mail from places like Michigan and Texas and the mm. Midwest, and I just, and, and my book is not overtly subversive in any right. way, <laughs> but it it is me who wrote this book and my mindset is there uh -huh. whether people like it or not but i have i have readers all over the place including places where I was, Wait, really is that where my sales are best that's uh -huh. crazy Wild. so there are pockets yeah. around the whole well, and, and States, to be fair I, the, I haven't lived outside california for a long stretch of time for about 10 years um and so and i know that 
like I know, for example, Atlanta has changed loads mm, in that yeah. time, and Dallas has changed loads. Yeah. And in that Houston time. and Austin, the big cities in yeah. Texas are coming around in I mean, a big I don't way. Think any of you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of you have ever lived in flyover country. I lived in Ohio for oh, that's four right, years. You, did. you went to yes, I lived there. in Dallas for okay seven years. So I actually went to Ohio partly because I loved the school there that I that I attended, but also because. I wanted to live in a in a state that was as different from California as possible because I, I kind of wanted to know what it was like because mm-hmm. we as Californians have all of these assumptions about the oh, yeah. like the coastal the coastal states always do we have all mm-hmm. these assumptions about the Midwest and yeah. vice versa and, and vice versa and many of them are unfair I mean there are some just gorgeous wonderful things oh, about the yeah. people who live in the fl- in the flyover states mm-hmm. not to be insulting but. That's yeah. what we call them. Um, but, you know, like the sense of hospitality mm-hmm. and the politeness. I mean, outside of the UK, I've never experienced that kind of thing before. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a lot of warmth and sort of untapped affection in yeah. those And there's states. also a lot of really deep cultural roots Ex- that we yeah, don't absolutely. have out here. We because don't. this is transplant country, and we like it that and way. And flux. I mean, we're yeah. the, the it's coastal a, yeah, states. Yeah, mm-hmm. cult- it's a culture of flux intentionally. You, and, you, and new... And new yeah. Foreign cultures right. and you influences. You can see a hamburger and stand and a sushi bar in the same restaurant, and it doesn't phase you. Yeah, and one of them is married right. to the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, there's a lot to recommend the yes. the interstates. So it's good to for to try and live in one and try and live in the other. I yeah, recommend it to absolutely. everybody. But it it is there is a reason that Dan said this particular. Yeah, book. It's a very <laughs> California book. And and I even played up some of the California prejudices in the characters yeah. on purpose. Not to... that not that people like this are all over California. No, no, you no. Know? <laughs> like please don't make that assumption. No, no, it, mo- it, it's, particularly, it's a very <laughs> northern California book, and it is still pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, never discount the monogamous dynamic as right. ruling the roost. Oh, definitely, especially uh, with the increasing Latinization I, of California, especially yeah, and Mormonization, yeah. I think Dan and and Gail, you you both work at home, mm-hmm. so you do, you don't see this in your day to day stuff except from what you get from your readers and 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 what go out from time to time. Yes, yeah. but the vitamin D does. Yes, but there is a difference between going <laughs> going out to the interactions you get, going out to get coffee or going out to get some tea, and going to work eight hours a day and feeling like. You're always hiding a little bit of who you are in order to not weird out your coworkers too much. They already think I'm a bit strange because I watch <laughs> science fiction and don't watch reality TV and um, that sort of thing. But th- then, like, I've got this whole other thing that's going on, and it's like you can't talk about it. Yeah. In some ways, I have it easier than you do because I'm working primarily with people of a completely different ethnic background from me. Mm-hmm. So is- I, they expect me to be weird. Because Your behavior could be a trivia. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. I do have that. I mean, I'm, I'm a professor, so yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't just, uh, I solve that problem as I think most teachers should by just not talking about my personal yeah. life at all under any circumstances with anyone. This is anyone. of the conversation that I- that that uh, at Minx's birthday party last year that she got on tape and put on Polly Weekly. Oh, gosh. We're sitting around and talking about her Was secret it in life. the hot tub? No, that, it was in was the that living room. There was no hot tub. Oh, there, yeah, no, I think I still heard it. You recorded it. Didn't you record uh, it? No, Minx recorded it. Oh, okay. But, um, 
but yeah, it was. But everyone's sitting around going like, "Yeah, I hear things from people at work," and I'm like, "I you can just... beat that, but I'm not going to say a word." Well, it's <laughs> a little bit like the kink uh-huh, in the uh-huh. kink in the DS yeah. community. I think they're on the down low a lot, mm-hmm. and there's a, a hell of a lot more of them than poly people. I would, oh, yes. I would say, and and oh. you know, your estimate of your coworkers, for example, I don't know what the ratios are, but at least. <laughs> One in ten yeah. have got to be kinky. Yeah. It's there's just oh, it's just there, and you know that they're there, and you just mm-hmm. it's you just don't talk about those things at work. Hi, this is Jay Daniel Sawyer. After a long hiatus, we're back. This is the first part of the first feedback episode for Down from Ten. Next week will be the next part. And the week after that, we resume podcasting free will and other compulsions. If you haven't heard the Antithesis progression yet, catch up at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. See you again soon.